uh, we're just, let's just let it rip and, uh, and see where it goes. Um, but, uh, I'm Zach Tompkinson and, it- uh, this is the no name robot podcast. Still have no name for it. Uh, so I'm Chris Savoya. Thanks for joining us. And this is Brian F. Dillman. Still don't know what the F stands for. Thanks the for joining us, Brian. I've never made any qualms about that. <laughs> I'm proud of that name. Don't you go take it away from me. Named after my mother's father. Oh, yeah. How's that for a little tidbit? And is it is it Francis or, whoa, that's, I don't like that. I got to do that off. Yeah. Looks like a, like I'm bathing in the sun here. I don't know. Well, <clears throat> welcome, Dillman. It's been a long time since I've seen you. I think it's been now, what, six Thanks months? Thanks for having me, boys. Yeah, happy to have you on. Hasn't been that bad. He's... He's making up stories, Savoya, because he, he doesn't want you to know that he saw me and played golf with me yeah. like three oh, months I, ago. I follow him close <laughs> enough to know that Zach's been playing golf with you the whole time. So, <laughs> uh, no, 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 yeah, it's I'm been not a, shy about it it's at been all. It's a little so. while, though. <laughs> Let's not talk about what my game is. Um, yeah. How, how, is, uh, how has the, uh, the winter been for you there, big man? Well, Aside from that, we got 22 inches of snow the other day, and my snowblower was like, you must be joking. Um, it, it was not fun on Thursday of, uh, of last week when the storm came through. And uh, it, it, I fancy myself as a snow guy that, you know, the Dillman family tradition of cleaning up the driveway and making sure everything looks good. This was the biggest battle I've ever had in my adult life. I literally had to give up at one point because I was like, there's no way I'm not going to make it. <laughs> my heart. And your I heart almost beat out of my chest. You. Yeah. I didn't want to be face down in a snowbank. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's jump into it with some good pertinent uh, robot talk here. Uh, Dillman, I want to hear about your first job. And I think I know where it is, but I want you—I want you to tell everybody. And I your want first, to your first in the well, robot industry. Your, your, your story is weird and fun, and you know it's—it's it's definitely you didn't get right into robots. So talk about, I guess, how you got into robots. Yeah. All right. So let's start at the the Steve Martin very beginning of you know how I ended up in sales is the first question. I uh, good question. I unsuccessfully pursued a career in uh, criminal justice. I was actually going to try and be part of the New York State Bureau of Criminal Investigation as part of New York State Police. But unfortunately, I did not score high enough in my state trooper exam (laughs) when Mario Cuomo was governor to make it into the program. Um, There's an interesting tidbit. I was actually contacted by New York State uh, Police Association they wanted to sue the governor and it was me and another gentleman that both had grades that normally would have been us in, um, but we didn't. So like a lot of people, I migrated into the, my first job in sales was actually selling photocopiers and that was brutal, but that was a great life experience. What company, like Rico or? What the, uh, actually Rico Comdoc. So the local distributor for Rico photocopiers and a good buddy of mine was the guy that hired me guy I played football with in college and um, that didn't last I don't even think it was a year and I got uh, approached to join a company called Testomatic 
And Testomatic made um, high-end open and short tutors for printed circuit boards. And that was my first introduction into technology. Mm-hmm. So as you guys probably know, a lot of people find interesting is that when I start talking about my 34 years in sales and 30 in the robotics industry, most people automatically think I'm an engineer. And I'm like, nope, sociology and criminal justice, baby. That's what my degrees are in. College football star. Um, but I just happened to get into selling electronic test. Yeah. Selling electronic test equipment got me introduced to a company called Applied Robotics in Schenectady, mm-hmm. New York. And back in the day when you guys were still in junior high and I was working, um, Applied Robotics was the was the leading tool changer company in North um, ATI Industrial. They didn't even exist yet. They were four guys in a garage. Wow. And it was RoboHand and Applied Robotics. And I was fortunate enough to uh, get tapped to be their automotive accounts manager and had five years with them and was very successful with them and was recruited by Motoman. And that's what got me into the actual selling robots. Very interesting. So five years of selling collision detectors and tool changers. Cool. And then yeah, I, I actually, we're working with Applied Robotics right the now. robot side of the business. That's cool. It's come full circle. I'm working with them now for some UR plus projects. So be be careful. (laughs) We will. That sounds Uh, good. Applied robotics is, uh, they, they've, they've kind of, they've had an interesting trajectory. Let's say that. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. That's all we need to say. Background. Yeah, I mean, so the background is basically after five years at Applied Robotics, I spent seven years at Motoman and then worked for some integration companies, spent eight years at KUKA, then spent three years at Universal Robots. And now I am the vice president of national sales for automated motion out of Bell Camp, Maryland. Favorite former company? I puzzled over that one because there's a lot of aspects of all of the companies. So for example, Motoman under Phil Man of Motoman, which was a joint venture between Hobart Brothers Welding Equipment and Yaskawa. Um, respectfully, I'll say this, that not a lot of stories can get shared about the Motoman days because the description of the Motoman days, I was 29 when I went to work for Motoman. I was the youngest sales guy on their team. And we had, I think, over 20 salespeople in the team. And it was like a frat house, literally. The camaraderie was great. It was really fun. Growth was exciting. At the time, we thought it was, you know, 50%, 40% growth a year. Most man, we thought we were rock stars. So it wasn't until the advent of, you know, you guys and I, we did it, you are, with the tremendous growth as part of that team mm. has just been unheard of. So... I can honestly say there's aspects of the robot companies I worked for were great fun. I think the most enjoyment I got was managing the East Coast team at UR because I finally found the most comfortable place for me, which is managing people and being on a team. Part of my background in athletics, I think, leads to that. Yeah. You know, being accustomed to being on a team and and enjoying that. And I think with the exception of Mr. Tompkinson calling me eight times a day and wearing me out. 
<laughs> that was that was some of the most enjoyment I've had. You know, working for UR and being part of UR's growth and success. You know, reflect back on that very fondly. Great, absolutely. Well, you know, we we certainly uh, we certainly loved having you here. Uh, I learned a great deal uh, of what I Same. know today fr from you, and uh, and you know, following within in your footsteps as best as possible, while also avoiding some of your you know catastrophic flaws. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, I thought, see, I, I thought Zach I was going to say, I, give you a full I took all the stuff you did and said, don't do any of that. <laughs> Let's keep uh, it nice and civil here, boys. What not to do, my man. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So Dillman, I, I understand that. I mean, you've taken all that time in sales. You realize you were a good sales guy, but a really good sales manager, uh, basically at Universal Robots, well, I think. Chris, I appreciate right? that. Absolutely. And, th and that's what you do now. So you're, you're now VP of sales. I know you have a small, a smaller team there. Um, I think you guys are, you know, maybe also looking to have other, other people on your sales team in the future, but uh, you now are, are still a sales manager uh, today and, and you do still find enjoyment in that. Absolutely. I mean, we, we were fortunate enough to find a resource to be hired a regional sales manager for the mid-Atlantic down into the East Coast, Southeast. So that's great. Um, I'm doing still direct selling as part of my role. So sure. it's a hybridized role right now, but it's part of being in a smaller company as well. Yeah. And can you talk, you know, uh, can you go a little bit into um, automated motion and, um, you know, the what what the focus of automated motion is and, and that business strategy and, Absolutely. and what your goals are? Yeah, sure. Uh, Automated Motion is a 26-year-old company that focuses on the consumer products market and is exclusively in the material handling side of the business. So, you know, having sold welding equipment in my past, that's not part of what we do at Automated Motion. Um, a big reason why I'm at Automated Motion is because when I was at KUKA, I was there, I was Automated Motion's account manager, and then I worked with them as the integrator manager at KUKA to help them grow their business. We were very successful together. So I have a, a great deal of affection and affinity for how automated motion go to market. We really promote three things. We promote custom, multi-axis, high-speed servo. So we have customers out there that we're building machines for them, custom servo machines that are building. For example, um, we have a, a cup maker that uh, 250 cups per minute are made on a it's 12 and a half, almost 13 axes of motion. I always say 13, it's easier for me to remember. But the highest speed machines that we make handle upwards of 3,000 pieces of candy a minute. In wow. a this is sing and single line machines. or multiple lines going through there? Sorry, Chris? Are they handling like, are they essentially doing everything serially or are, are they parallelized, you know, such that like multiple pieces or parts are going through at the same time? No, a singular machine. Wow. So you have a, a Gets Candy, to delve a little deeper into it, Gets Candy starts out making their cowtails and their candies on a rope. And then they size the rope down to portion size, and then we cut it and then pack it into what you see in stores at 3,000 pieces a minute. Very good. So that gives us the ability to talk to customers about high-speed automation. We also do area gantries where appropriate, and then we really probably in the last 15 to 18 years have gotten very much into the industrial and collaborative pedestal style robots. Yep. So most of our business today or more of our business today is on the robotic side than it is on the gantry 
and the Turbo uh, side. But the beauty of it is, and this was applicable when I was at KUKA, I would introduce automated motion to customers with a simple premise that said, look, these guys are going to solve your problem. And how they do it, if they use my robot, great. If they don't, as long as they solve your problem. And I think you guys have both heard say this before, but a big part of my philosophy towards selling is be an asset to your customer, whether you make a sale or not. I want to be the resource that the customer says, let me call Dillman. He'll help me out. And the irony is that I'm still getting calls from you, our customers saying, I know you don't work for them anymore, but, and same things. I, I got a call from a KUKA customer the other day and I'm like, look, I haven't worked for KUKA in 12 years. But, you know, what do you want from me? Yeah. It's not really yeah. that long, but. Yeah, what, seven years probably, right? Long. Or six. So yeah, Automated Motion is a, is a great little company out of Maryland. We're a national company. And we do palletizing, we do case packing, and we do material handling, pin place, and other types of material handling applications. That's our niche. And engineering sound, I mean, you know, as, and from what from what I've seen and, and working together with them on on some universal robot projects, you know, some of the best, most you know, skilled robot engineers and uh, really automation engineers that I've seen too. So I think that uh, it's a it's it's a great it's a great company with with a core competency that is you know even more technically savvy than I'd say a lot of integrators, which is awesome. Um, so. Dillman, why do you think uh, we saw this shift? I think we, you know, you said 15 or 18 years ago, there was a shift, you know, to be more towards pedestal style, six axis robots. Why do you think you saw that shift at your company uh, that, that long ago? And is it a maturation of the technology or did the profile or the wants of the customer uh, change over time? What was it? I think the two biggest driving factors, Chris, are uh, the technology from the pedestal robot side has become so much more reliable and robust. And if you think about, here's, here's my old man stories. You know, when I, when I joined Motoman, the biggest robot you could buy from Motoman was 120 kilos. That was the big boy, wow. 1994. Well, 120 kilogram robot today is, you know, not even mid-range. When you start yeah. looking at, you know, the big monster 1,300, 2,000 kilogram payload robots that are on the market. Yeah. And then the other thing is that the cost factor, that 120 kilogram robot in 1994 cost $86,000. Nobody's paying that kind of money for those those robots like that anymore. It's the prices have come down, the reliability has gone up, the durability has increased. So it is easier for a company building solutions, automated motion included, to avail ourselves of the technology that's out there on the market rather than try and build something. So selling robots to integrators was a big part of my career. And I can't tell you how many times people have said, you know, now that the price of the robots have come down and smaller robots are so affordable, we, quotation marks, integrator would say, it's not worth it to me to go out and build a custom multi-axis machine. Anything beyond two axes, it's easier for me to just buy a robot. Yep. Cheaper, faster, easier. Yep. Very good. You know, talking about that and, and you know, obviously there was a, a disruptive shift here in the in the last say five years with you know the emergence of collaborative robots um and and sort of how the market is shifting there where where do you see the the either the next shift whether that's technology driven or 
you know, uh, how the market changes. Um, what, what, in, what's like some of your focuses or inspiration and, or something that you find the most intriguing as technology shifts? Um, you know, it can be a few things. It doesn't have to be specific to, um, like six axis robots. It can be another technology, you know, but specifically within automation, what is a, um, you know, whether a trend in the market that you're seeing or a new technology that, uh, you find very intriguing that you think is going to change, um, you know, the next decade. All right, let's start, let's start with the premise that robotics begins to leave the industrial realm and starts moving out into commercial, um, retail, those kind of economies. So the e-commerce market is a great evidence of, you know, the migration into different areas. Um, you know, at one of the trade shows that Universal Robots was at, I had the opportunity to be on a panel, and I think it was can't remember what year it was, probably let's say 17, it was a show at Javits and somebody asked about, you know, what's the next evolution of collaborative robots? And the answer is mobile. How can it not be mobile? Sure. The, the biggest limiting factor to industrial robot 83 phase and a robot weighs a thousand pounds. So how the hell you move that thing around? Sure. Well, now that you've got technologies out there where, you know, the mass of the robot compared to its payload is fairly insignificant. The idea of running a, a robot on a, a battery driven AMR or AGV or similar, I believe that three years ago and I believe that today. And we have discussions internally as I have discussions with other people in the industry that, you know, I have a little bit of a bugaboo. One is that, you know, no disrespect to the companies that make the AMRs, but it, it's not a robot. <laughs> And I hate to say that. I mean, I, I they may they may like to, to differ, because, but I think that that is it's di it's definitely yeah, it's different. Explain, explain your rationale, uh, Dillman. Why? Why do you say that? What What is the definition of a robot? It is a multi-axis mechanical device that can execute a job. Well, these AMRs, and I'm not naming names, but all of these AMRs that are out there, I can drive it to a position. And then what? Something else has got to take take over. Well, I think it's now, the aspect of the human. Like, there is a human interaction at that point in that step, right? It, it, it they're not not always, but correct. more likely than not, I would say in the market that that is a challenge. And, and so I, I see that as a huge trend going forward is those technologies really having to merge together. Um, you know, the AMR and the six axis robots and you know, there's probably different terms under the AMR and there's different terms under the six axis, but genuinely speaking, I mean, putting a mobile robot with an articulating arm um, allows it to be more commercialized and be put in places that it cannot be today. And when you look at the change of six axis robots going from, you know, like their strength to weight ratio is coming down. So they, they weigh, you know, they can carry, you know, almost, you know, in some cases, 50% of yeah. what they weigh. Mass. Yeah. Mass to payload. Absolutely. Yep. I agree, Zach. Yep. Just so you well, guys know, the, the, the official to... term for that is mobile manipulator. Like not, and I say official, that's kind of like what the standards committees are throwing around and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, mobile manipulator. Yeah. That's okay. the combination of the well, two. And, and again, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to ask me what, what my, you know, crazy, vision in the back of my head is 
I, I see robots docking shelves in the supermarket at 3 a.m. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I see, you know, robots working in retail in malls, if we ever get back to them. Um, you know, I, I think you're going to see a lot more kiosk-based businesses where, you know, everything is done with a, you know, I, I got a debit card and I got an online order and I just show up and the robot process everything and I just go pick it up in a drop shoot. So yeah. part of what we're dealing with as an industry is lack of available workforce and skills gap. It's amazing to me, fellas, that that was never discussed in my the early parts of my career. As a matter of fact, most people were like, don't you feel bad you're putting people out of work? Mm-hmm. When the reality is that, you know, there's enough out there that if you just look for it, automation and employment actually run together in a positive arc. Not yeah, the I think it was like RI, the RIA numbers and, and, you know, I know like Jeff Bernstein talks about it a lot and, and even, you know, like McKinsey, you know, Corp has come out and, and talked about, you know, kind of the difference in what's in, in the skill, the, the, the labor gap and, and the skills gap and that, you know, it also, you know, creates a, a surplus, um, like the more you automate, the more jobs that there, there tend to be. And I, and I look at what, what's going to happen. And I think what I've seen recently is a change from a customer perspective because there were some customers that really got it before and they fully bought in on it but i think even since covid there i've been fueling a lot more phone calls a lot more conversations that are okay now we're looking at things differently than we did in you know 2019 because you know coronavirus has changed our mindset on on what automation needs to look like for us for the next 10 years so they might have had it planned in the future but now they're looking at like a pandemic has changed and shifted their mindset on the need for automation more so than I've seen from any other factor in the past, you know, five years of working in the industry. I totally agree. I think it's accelerated people's timetables and schedules. And I think when we talk about safety, I mean, historically we talk about safety as to man machine interface and, you know, how can we operate safely around people? But now part of the discussion on safety is how do we keep people protected and safe and social distanced and you know this has changed the game for robotics and automation in a positive way you know Mm, we 2020 was bizarre but commercially was a very good year for automated motion so we're very optimistic about going forward good stuff yeah you're right there has been a tremendous amount of historical emphasis on the human to machine interface right hmi i mean that that term has been around forever and I think you're right, Dillman. Uh, more so now, they're also considering safety of workers between workers, between humans, really human to human contact, as well as human to machine contact. It's interesting. Good take. I like it. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, you look at some of the the mobile the mobile robots um, that are out there, and and that market, and and what that what that growth looks like, and and you combine you combine that with what some of the collaborative robot projections are over the next five to ten years, and you know, it's really interesting. I think a lot of times those terms kind of get swapped in because I think some people categorize collaborative robots as like the mobile robots as well. It kind of in, inside that number. Um, but the, you know, one thing is for sure that you you, can't, you have to get into the commercial space truly, I think, to recognize um, the full projections that, are, that, I, that you see out there, which is where I think the, the market is heading as well. So I think it's a re- really interesting, really interesting uh, point to bring up. Um, 
Now, shifting gears for a minute here, and I'd love to get your opinion more on, on what you see in the future, if there are other technologies that, uh, that you think are, are critical and that are kind of cha- or going to change the way we do business in the next 10 years as, as automation and robot companies. Is there anything, anything else you wanted to bring up on that topic before I switch to a, a new, another question? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you start combining vision and AI and uh, AMRs and other technologies that increase the ease of use of robots and then allows for, like one of the more exciting things that we've seen recently and we're actively working on projects on are you know eliminating traditional conveyance of product especially once it's on a pallet and replacing that with the AMRs. Mm. And now you've got an open work envelope and using, you know, the different routing techniques and planning, you're no longer, you know, creating this octopus of conveyors that will tie you up and landlock you for the future. You've got all this other space. It's a flexible all kinds of flexibility. It's a flexible Exactly. And I think what you see is, you know, you know, from, from what I see is when you go down and you look at, you said vision and AI and, and, you know, AMRs and six axis robots, you know, ultimately it's making robots to be, to be more human. Like, I mean, I know that that's probably a little scary to think about, but you know, vision is giving it eyes, you know, AI is giving it a brain. AMR is basically giving it feet right. and you know, a six axis robot is giving it, you know, an arm. And so it's making these, you know, and combining those technologies together really makes it makes robots more more human like. And then I think of the the other end of it. You know, this is really the industrial way that is being done now. But I think of the, like the way that companies like Boston Dynamics have done things with they've kind of taken it the opposite approach. They're looking at the commercial and how do we build this all into a single robot and then have it you know kind of maybe pushed either into the commercial potentially into the industrial industry. Obviously, you see them like picking up packages and and moving them. Um, but it's interesting to see that approach. And what is your thoughts on coming at it from the industrial way that which where we're all from versus coming at it more from a, I, I call it commercial. I don't know how exactly, but I, I don't know if I'm framing it properly, but, you know, looking at it the way like Boston Dynamics is coming from the, maybe the top end back in from a full solution of making a robot like a human. I yeah, I mean, Boston Dynamics and some of the things they're doing and some of the other companies that are in that same realm have done some remarkable things with, you know, motion, not like we've seen Dynamics, before, like really. you know, the Jaguar yeah. or whatever the heck they call that. I mean, it's yeah. crazy to see what they're doing, but that lends me, I mean, my optimism being, you know, the old guy is, you know, I'd like to still see in my lifetime where, you know, you've got this Jetsons-like robotic solution out there in you the want world a butler. but the well not even the butler i mean that was the you know what zach that was a joke every time you went to a trade show some uncle had said well can you sell me one to vacuum my rug yeah yeah, yeah it's a or something more here. profane and disgusting but, than that but something like that yeah well yeah there's that too <laughs> um but the the reality is and to me the the threshold that has to be handled is the safety aspect and I still think that we as an industry, you know, yeah, there's a TS and different standards out there, but it was not the easiest thing to arrive at. Let's put it that way. Sure. Um, so I think that the next evolution is truly safe 
which is dangerous to even talk about. But, you know, the risk assessment and moving into a safer technology of a robot that can identify through vision or some other scanning technology and can differentiate between, is that a fork truck coming at me or is that Chris Savoya walking up the aisle? Yeah, right. I have to behave differently if it's a human versus truck and what's the safety aspects of that. But those, that next stair step of going beyond where we are today will open up the semi-industrial, commercial, retail, all those other different businesses. You know, I, I laugh all the time when I read the stories about the, uh, the robot butlers and, you know, what's the biggest problem that they have in the hotel industry of having robot butlers delivering your, um, your room service. It's because some drunk guy decides he's going to knock it over as yeah. he's walking down the hallway. Yeah. You know, they hadn't, they hadn't planned for that. You know, <laughs> yeah. how do we account for the knuckleheads in the world? Yeah. Well, you well, yeah, and you've seen you that, gotta, you know, you've you know, even you seen that now with the floor that. where that can happen, you know, with a, with a six axis arm and people not, you know, are intentionally, you know, trying to, to mess up what's going on. Um, so let me ask you this. Do you see companies like FANUC and Universal Robots from the industrial side of, and there are obviously many others that have um, six axis arms and, you know, combined with other technologies that we talked about before, like vision AI and, and automated uh, mobile robots. Do you see those technologies combining at some point and ultimately competing with companies like Boston Dynamics and the products that they've that they've come out with? Or do you think that's too far fetched? You know, let's say, you know, 10 years from now, do those companies have more and in common than they do today? And the, the technologies are going to ultimately kind of meet a converging center or is that too far fetched? Well, I mean, let's address let's address it this way. If you look at the industrial robotics, when Universal and um, who's the Baxter? Rethink. Rethink. Yeah. So when when those two companies started to emerge onto the market more significantly, the back channel conversations at FANUC, Motoman, ABB, KUKA, and the others was, this is a fad. Yeah. This isn't really going to take over the market. Yeah. Um, and and there's there's people in, in those companies that are admitting the fact that they were hoping that collaborative robots wouldn't take off. Yeah. But I think that there's an exponential from migrating from industrial to collaborative to getting into the more exotic things like Boston Dynamics products. But I also think that there is, when you've got these think tanks that are operating as part of Carnegie Mellon and other you know, robotic-based educational entities, there's a 19-year-old kid out there right now coming up with some crazy idea for the next evolution. Yep. We just don't know what it's going to be yet. But my answer to you, Zach, directly is, you. I don't believe you're ever going to see, you know, Fanic, Kuka, ABB, Motoman, Nachi, Kawasaki, and those guys migrate away from what they do today They're because cool. so much demand and need for those technologies that to, to leave that to go elsewhere. For example, someone who was chief financial officer of one of the companies I worked for literally quoted as saying, oh, the collaborative market will never be more than five to 7,000 robots a year worldwide. Mm. Think yeah. about that. 
how how far off the mark is this person who worked for one of the biggest robot companies in the world didn't have an appreciation for what the next evolution in the market was going to be. I believe yeah. that collaborative is going to get to be 25, 30% of the overall robot consumption. No, I don't believe that. I believe that there's, you know, there's a place for collaboratives and it fits. Will there be a place for a new technology? All depends on what it is. And I am not smart enough, nor am I entrepreneurial enough. Cause if I was, I wouldn't be working for somebody else. Yeah. I'd be creating <laughs> these technologies and, it's just not, you, it's you're just still not what talking within the industrial or kind of like the the envisioned applications for robots at this point in time. You're still talking within industrial, whether it's manufacturing or commerce, kind of the stuff that has been evaluated already for robots. That's what you're talking about, the tangible market here, correct? Not the untapped potential future markets. Grocery in, stores. Who knows? Pharmacies. Yeah, those kind of places. Whatever, yeah. Yeah, who knows? Cool. All right. I want to switch gears I mean, um, for a, a minute. I want to ask you who, who you think the best, who's the best salesperson you've ever met? Um, you know, I know a lot of people on LinkedIn have, um, you know, that's easy. That's easy. Who is it? Can you, that can was, you give a little background on it? I'll tell you the whole story, man. It's, it's my pleasure. And, and it actually was a little bit upsetting because uh, this gentleman passed away within the last year oh, and uh, unfortunately I wasn't able to get I wasn't able to get to his funeral. well he lived a good full life he was he was close to or or beyond 80 when he passed but the gentleman is a guy by the name of Mark Dumbald and Mark Mark was um the best I have ever seen worked for Motoman uh he was their guy in part of Ohio he didn't even have the whole state and his biggest year was over $20 million in revenue. Um, and here's why Mark Dumbald is the, is the best I've ever seen. Besides the fact that he was the consummate sales professional and was incredibly good at what he did, we were at the last day of a trade show together. And it was 3.30 in the afternoon. And we were all laying on the carpet waiting to go home. And two young guys walked into the Motorman booth. And Mark went over and started talking to him. And he spent an hour with these two guys. And when they walked away, we were like, who are those guys? And he was like, they're two juniors from Ohio State. And everybody was like, Mark, you got to be kidding me. You spent an hour? And he goes, hey, those guys are going to graduate next year. And guess whose robots they're going to use? Mm. And that was just, that, that encapsulates the mindset of Mark Dumbald. Um, he, was a, he was a gentleman. He was a great salesman. Um, and he was the guy that, little man, that's the guy you were gunning for. You were like, I got to catch Dumball. And unfortunately, he put in the he put in the, know, uh, he put in the time. He had the forward the forward thinking of what could really happen in the future, and and he wasn't afraid to spend the time on on aspects that you know might not pay him dividends, you know, within that next year or couple of years. But really thinking about long term, and you know, the fact of giving giving. Yeah, I know also, you guys aren't familiar with this term, but. There, there was a term that we used to use before you guys started in the industry. It's called deferred gratification. You work, right. you like work for the future, not just for what you're going to get tomorrow. Yes, that's true. All right. So, so yeah, let's... there's there's a few other guys out there that that I tip my that I tip my hat to, and but but Dumbald, he was the man. Dumbald. Very. I'll cool. have a toast to him. Pour, pour one out for him. Apologies to his family. That's that's uh, sorry to hear that. Uh, but seems like a very good guy. 
cool. So what is, what's, let's talk about your craziest sales experience. Um, I told you that it had to be PG related, uh, which I'm sure makes it uh, a lot more difficult for you. So. It was really, it was really hard. (laughs) (laughs) I settled on an idea. There there was a circumstance that, that has stayed with me throughout my career that just was absolutely crazy. And Zach, you know, the company they're in uh, New Hampshire. When I was at Motoman, I sold a arc welding, stud welding combined system to a customer in New Hampshire. Their manufacturing engineering manager was just, he was a nice, nice guy, but he was very difficult. He was, he was your typical new, I'm going to drag you over to Coles. He yeah. came out for runoff. And basically what we were doing is we were forming the shell of a product. And then we were putting T-studs on that product for additional manufacturing mounting of other products. So we, we sat down and the project engineer that was working with me said, all right, I'm going to you know, start up the arc welding and then we're going to do the stud welding. We did the arc welding. The guy's like, yeah, I don't, the arc welding is no big deal. I want to see this thing stud weld. And it was a TRW Nelson stud welder. And as we were starting, it was like six or eight studs in a row. And this gentleman's name was David. And David says to me, how accurately can we place the studs? And I'm like, great question. Don't know. And I turned to the guy from TRW and said, hey, what's your accuracy? And he goes, uh, and he starts, you know, doing the typical when you're a tech guy and you don't have an answer. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the Moto Man guy goes, whoops. I go, whoops, what? And he goes, I think I messed up. And we went over and he put a stud on top of a stud. So he repeated the placement of that stud welder in the spot where he just placed one and he did a Robin Hood. He <laughs> laid a stud right on top of the other one. And the nice. customer looked at that, looked at me 18 minutes into the runoff that we expected to go for like a day and a half. And he's like, I'm like, seriously? He goes, yeah, print the papers out. I'll sign it. Let's go. <laughs> 18 nice. minutes. So that's my, that's my G-rated best story. I got Love it. I got other ones, but I can't. How I can't he, share. he totally made the mistake, and and yet it it made it like well that proved to us, you know, how accurate cool. this thing is. So done. Tillman, did you sell yeah. that through an integrator, or uh, was Motorman working on that kind of like with an in-house team? How was that sold to the customer? Uh, Moto Motorman had their advanced systems group, mm-hmm. and they would do. And still to this day, Motoman does some turnkey solutions for customers, not as many as they used to. But back in the 90s, we would sell arc welding as a turnkey solution through ASG group. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's the, here's the funny you know, follow-up to that story. And it's very timely because it happened right around this time of year. Motoman shipped the equipment out to the customer and he called me the first day of January, whatever the first business day of January was. And he was like, hey, uh, the robot's not working. And I go, yeah, okay. So what happened? And he's like, I don't know. Your guy went home. He goes, let me give you two options. You either get somebody here or you can come pick this thing up on route 3A. <laughs> so you're going to have to explain to people that aren't from New Hampshire what route 3A yeah. is. Yeah. And I'm like, David, don't throw it out. He's like, no, I mean, first of all, this thing is a monster piece of equipment. And he's like, I'm going to park it in the middle of the goddamn highway if you don't come get it. Oh, so boy. obviously- we jumped through some hoops and got it taken care of. Got it worked out. Good. Good. Um, so 
who who is a can you give us a big personality of somebody that you uh, think we should we should interview uh, with the biggest the business? I, I yeah, say one the of the biggest. I mean, you know, if it's within reason, but yeah. All right, so I I had I had to puzzle over this a little bit because there there may be a possibility that some of these people won't talk to you <laughs> well, yeah. once they figure out who you are. Okay. Um, to me, there's some really interesting personalities in the market right now. One of which, um, Chuck Russo runs Baca Systems, B-A-C-A. Mm -hmm. And Chuck ran RPT. He was one of the biggest water jet cutting integration companies in the country, if not the biggest, and was very successful. He sold the business and then he started Baca up. And Baca, all Baca does is stone cutting. Yep. And they use the high precision KUKA robots along with some really slick software. And, you know, to me, Chuck is a guy that I've known um, probably most of my career, first by reputation and then personally. And his story is phenomenal. He is incredibly successful. It would be interesting. You could get him to talk with you because he would share with you that not a lot of people in the industry are. That's cool. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I met a guy, I met a guy in Prague uh, when, when I was, when we were, when I was abroad here, like right before COVID name, name dropper. I was in Prague. No. Well, and this is how random it <laughs> Go ahead. is. I met this guy and he's like, I just bought a, a Baca systems, uh, you know, full system. And I just implemented it. And, uh, you know, he was asking about, you know, if I knew who they were, I was like, I know, I know of them, but I've never, I've never been introduced to Chuck. So, um, you know, I'll have to tell Chuck that story that, you know, middle of nowhere guy who had never heard of really, he's like, well, I've got, he's like, I don't really know what you mean by robots, but I just bought a Baca system for my, you know, he, he was, he was a, they, they sold stone, um, you know, countertop uh, for somewhere in Texas. So. It's, a, it's an incredible market and quite, um, if recollection serves, Baca has become KUKA's biggest non-automotive in, uh, integrator. They, they kind of classify them as more of an OEM than an yeah. integrator, but they, they yeah. do a really, really nice business. So that's the first guy. And then there's two other guys that I would recommend. One, one will be a, a difficult get, and, and that's Mike Chico. Um, and Mike is president and CEO of FANUC. Um, yep. I think he's a fantastic guy. He's an interesting personality and he demonstrates a, a real unique set of, of skill sets for an organization of that size. Um, talking with him has always been very interesting and a software engineering place in the business and grew up, he was a young 20 something year old. And then the last guy is cool. a guy I worked with at Motoman who is now running plus one and that's Eric Nieves. Yeah. And my my recommendation of trying to get an interview with Eric is you will enjoy thoroughly if if you get a chance to hear inside of his head. Cool. Um, he's an incredible <laughs> talent. Good. He's very smart and he's doing very well. And those are three guys that, you know, when you have those conversations of who would you like to sit and have a beer with and just talk, that would be an interesting roundtable. Well, I yeah. think that's kind of how we came up with this idea of doing this was like, well, because of COVID, you know, 
let's let's basically have a beer with these guys and and have some good conversation and and record it and see if other people want to hear it so <laughs> there you go you have my recommendations thank you brian those are good recommendations yeah for sure um the last question that i have for you you know really is you know is probably a simple and i think i already know the answer to it but uh, who, who is more frustrating to have work for you, uh, myself or, or Mr. Savoya? Well, there's not even a contact. <laughs> I'm a saint compared to him, right? Zach, 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 you are so far beyond anybody else in that organization. But I will tell you that I respected your tenaciousness and very successful what you did. Um, so, yeah, you were you were you were high maintenance, dude. Somebody called <laughs> what somebody I might call tenacious. Others might just call psychopathic. That's cool. Totally get it. Well, I mean, listen, let's, you know, we talk about this all the time. This is a business of results, and you got results. So, if you sure. weren't as successful as you were, I'd just hang up on you. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't. That's for sure. But you guys both, you guys both made the UR experience a great one. I mean, I, I, you've heard me say this before. Um, you know, I don't regret leaving that organization because I needed to for personal reasons, mm -hmm. basically to maintain my health. I mean, I, I, after you reached out to me and wanted to talk about this, I started writing down the names of guys that have died. You know, guys like Jay Hallberg. You want to talk about a, a personality in the industry? Jay worked with me at Motoman and Jay had a stutter and we used to have great times and laugh. And here's one of the PG stories. We were together at Oktoberfest. Phil Monin took the entire Motoman sales team to Oktoberfest. And one year, because we were successful and I sat down next to Jay and started poking him every time I finished my beer. And at about noon, he said, listen, you poke me one more time. I'm going to punch you in the face. And we both, Apparently went our separate ways. And then a couple hours later, we got together and I poked him and he punched me right in teeth. And he's like, <laughs> I told you I was going to do that. And I was like, oh, man. Well, uh, I don't blame uh, him but, because I've you know, seen my fair of wrestling bat matches with you in which, um, you know, I've always made sure that you that you knew that you I wanted was a younger man uh, in those battles. I think that you should be ashamed of yourself for picking on the aged. Well, you tried to tackle me that one time and I just ducked and you flew. You remember that one? You probably don't. Uh, that was on the streets of Copenhagen. <laughs> that was on the streets of Copenhagen. <laughs> probably three in the morning. <laughs> yeah. There are some good photos yeah, of that night that are out there. All right, what uh, else you want to know? Are you done? I don't ever want to show those uh, photos. Um, the, uh, but honestly, man, I mean, this was just a great experience to sit down with you and, and yeah. just catch up. Uh, I don't know if I have anything else, honestly. I'm trying to find the picture right now. I'm trying to find the picture right now, Zach, from the uh, Christmas party. What was it three years ago? When we were all up on the roof in uh, Miami Beach. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was that three years ago? I think that was two Sorry. years ago. No. Two years ago. Anyway. Talking about the one at Disney World? Or Hopefully this is you. Hopefully this is useful to you. No, I yeah. think it was awesome. 
We really appreciate it. We could talk for a while longer, and I think this is probably not going to be the last conversation that we ask you to have with us, Brian, Uh, but we appreciate it very much. I mean, you're kind of giving us our start here, so we appreciate you helping us kick it off. Yeah, I think both of us uh, wouldn't be here today without you, so uh, we, we certainly appreciate it. Definitely. More than you know. Oh, and on that <laughs> note, well, cool, man. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, have a Merry Christmas. I hope this is getting just a bucket full of toys. 